15 through 27. John 15, 18 through 27. So we'll, we'll finish up uh, John chapter 15 today, and then next week we'll move into, uh, into John 16. We'll, we're going to be in 18 through 27. We're going to kind of divide this up today into two parts. And the first thing we'll do is look at verses 18 to 21. It says this. This is, again, Jesus continues to speak. And he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they'll keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Now, I, I, I'm always amazed uh, when you study the Bible how relevant the Bible is. I heard somebody say something the other day on a TV show that, you know, I, you know the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. And it was written in a society of Romans and Greek and Hellenistic culture. And how does that apply to us today? And, but what people don't understand is human beings don't change. Human nature don't change. Society changes. Culture changes. But humans don't change. We're, we're the same. Um, and, and I read, so it's, it's always amazing to me how relevant Scripture is, even to today. I was uh, out on the web this past week doing some study and. And I ran across this article that it says Americans approve more of gays than they do evangelicals. Um, in fact, they asked these university professors were recently asked if there were religious groups toward which they harbored negative feelings. 3% said they harbored negative feelings toward Jews, 9% toward non-evangelical Christians, 22% uh, toward Muslims, but 53% said they had negative feelings toward evangelicals. And when we say evangelicals, we mean born-again Christians. <laughs> not, not liberal Christians, but real, born-again, blood-bought, Jesus-saved Christians. Um, th th there's a real negativity in the world today toward people like us. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. Now, so, so what we're going to talk about here today is very relative to what we're saying. So as we continue our study today, I want to stop for just a second and remind ourselves again of the context of where Jesus is when he's saying these words. We need to remember this is the night before he's going to die. Now at this point, they, you know, they've had the Last Supper. They've left the upper room. Uh, they've, I don't know if they've made it to the Garden of Gethsemane, if they're on their way. You know, we don't know that for sure, but we do know these are the last words of Jesus that he's saying to his disciples before uh, his death the, the next day. Now, up until this point in chapter 13 where we have the, the foot washing, and in chapter 14 and early in chapter 15, Jesus has been comforting his disciples, these 11 men, right? Uh, he's told them, I'm about to leave you. He knows that he knows that they are very upset about that. They've, they've given up everything to follow him. They've been walking with him for three years. And he says, I'm about to leave, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And he knows this is, I mean, you know, we can imagine, right? I mean, or, or I'm not sure we can imagine how bad of a feeling that would be. So he's been trying to comfort him. He, he knows that they're upset. So he spent the majority of his time showing them how much he loves them, and, and again, just comforting. For example, 
he told them, he says, I'm going to a way to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back, right? We all remember that. Uh, he told them, listen, don't worry. The works that I've done, you'll do greater works than these. He told them, you can ask anything in my name and, and I'll do it. He told them that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, that He's going to come and He's going to teach you and bring things back to your remembrance. He told them, my peace I'm going to give to you. My joy I'm going to give to you. Uh, he, and, and of course here in 15 he says, if you'll just abide in me, I'll take care of everything. I'll, my divine life will flow through you. You'll bring forth fruit. My Father will prune you. I'll take care uh, of, of all that. And, and, and again, he's saying all this because he wants to comfort them, right? He wants to let them know it's going to be okay. I know right now you feel bad. I know right now you're scared. I know the future looks bleak, but it's going to be okay. Right? I, I'm, all this is under control. I've got it all planned out. Uh, everything's going to be okay. And then, right here in the middle of chapter 15, everything changes. So I want you to see that. Up to this point, it's been all about comforting them, patting them on the back, putting his arms around them. I love you. It's going to be okay. i got it all planned out. But, and there's a but in here, and in everything right here uh, changes. Now, and the reason it changes is because Jesus understands that they need a balanced view of the world. Okay, they, they, they need a balance. They need to know all these great promises. They need to know that God is sovereign. They need to know that He's got it all planned out. At the same time, they also need a balanced view. It's, uh, what's the old song? I never promised you a rose garden, right? Jesus never promised us a rose garden. He wants them to have a balanced view. So, Although they have all these promises and all these blessings and they're going to have the Holy Spirit, he wants them to also know that they're going to find themselves in the midst of a hostile, rebellious, Christ-hating, Christian-hating world. Okay, That's what he wants them to know. He wants them to know that they're going to walk through a world that's going to hate them the same way it hated him. And in fact, this world will seek to kill them and actually will kill them in the exact same way that the world uh, world killed him. Now, so that's what he's doing here. He's, everybody with me? He's getting a, a balanced view. Yes, I'm going to take care of it. Yes, I've got it all. But you need to understand the world that you're going to walk through, it, it ain't going to be all fruit basket turnover. They're going to hate your guts because they hated my guts. Now, before we talk about that and the reasons why they hate us, uh, I want you to make sure you see the transition that between the two. In other words... He starts in chapter 13, he washes their feet, uh, he calls them his friends, he goes all through chapter 14 with these wonderful promises that he's going to do, and then right before he transitions into the world hating them, he says something, and I want you to make sure you see this in verse 17, he says this, he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another, and then the next verse, if the world hates you, know that it is hating me before it hated you. See, he's saying you need to keep on loving each other, not just superficially, but deeply and sacrificially. You love in the same way that I loved you. Why? Why do you need to love one another? Because in the world that you're about to walk into, you're going to need each other more than ever. Because you're not going to get any support from the world. The world's not going to pat you on the back, tell you what a great man or great woman you are. The world, in fact, is going to try to kill you. So you need each other. You need to love each other sacrificially more than you ever have before. Everybody see that transition? Um, 
See, you're going to need the love you're going to find in one another because you're not going to find it in anybody else. You're not going to find it out there in the world, right? So, so what I want you to do is keep in mind in these statements that we're encountering here at the end of chapter 15 that it's not only a warning about the world's hate, it's also a motivation to love. We need each other because they hate us. Right? You're, you're not a, Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to send the comforter, but I want you to love one another, and, and, and I want you guys to circle up, love one another sacrificially, because the world's going to hate you. Okay, so there's the transition that he, that he gives us. So he transitions into the subject of the world's hatred by encouraging the disciples to love one another. Then he gives us three reasons why the world hates Christians. Okay? Three reasons why the world hates Christians. Now I want to say, too, we, for most of us that's grown up in America, you know, I was born in 63. You know, most of my life, I've, I, well, I've lived my whole life here in Walkerla County. You know, I've gone to church my whole life. My friends go to church and all that. We don't experience a lot of this, okay? Our children, our children's children, our grandchildren especially will. Everything's changing. Everybody, do y'all understand that? When you read the newspapers and watch the news, everything's changing. Your children and your grandchildren will grow up in a different America than we did. And I, and I know we, we hear sermons if we'll just humble ourselves and pray, uh, but I'm going to be really honest with you, I don't see us changing. I don't see us turning back. I think it's a new... We're, we're going to walk in times that the disciples walked in, to be quite honest with you. I believe that. I believe that America's changing, the world's changing, and I think these are more relevant today than they've probably ever been in my life and in your life, I would say. So let's, let's, let's keep that in mind as we go through this. So three reasons Jesus gives us why the world hates, hates Christians. Number one, we are not of this world. Look at verse 19. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Okay? But because you are not, he says it just as clearly as anything, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, uh, the world hates you. Now, let me ask you a question here before we get too far. What does Jesus mean by the world? Let's make sure we understand that. What does he mean by the world? The Greek word here is cosmos. Why does, why does, what does he mean by this? What's this world he's talking about? General society. Okay, I mean, do the trees hate me? No. Do the dirt hate me? So he's not talking about the planet, is he? Sometimes the word cosmos can be used to mean planet. It's not talking about the planet. What's he talking about? People. He's talking about people. He's talking about societies. He's talking about really a system, right? The world system. In fact, uh, again, the word here in Greek is cosmos, and it can be used to mean a lot of things, but here it's used to describe this evil, sin-based system that influences uh, human beings. Of course, this system is authored by Satan, and it's acted out or lived out by men and women, and it's a system characterized by the acceptance of natural passions and the rejection uh, of God. Um, it's, it's used here to describe a society of wicked men and women who have set themselves against Christ and against His kingdom, and against his people. And this system, or this world, or this culture, or this society, does not like anything that is different from them. Okay? That's the crux of it. They don't like, here's this system, and it's all, this system is all self-based. 
It's all about us. It's all about what do I want? What do I think? What do I desire? What do I need? And they don't, want, they don't like any system that's different from that. Okay? Um, and, and they'll attempt to destroy that system. Now, let me ask you why. Why does the world or, or the individuals that are part of this system, why do people not like things that are different from that system? What? Huh? Prejudice. Prejudice? Okay, that's part of it. I think it's human nature not to like. We, we tend to, I, I think, we all tend to congregate with people that not only look like us, but what? Think like us. You know, even, I, I have no issues with color. I have no issues with color, but I tell you what, I'm, I tend to want to, still today, want to get around people that are like me. I don't care what they look like, but I want them to think like me. And act, don't you, do you not? Aren't we uncomfortable with people that are, just have beliefs and that, it's, that makes us uncomfortable. Right? I mean, so that's kind of human nature and, and, and that could be a form of prejudice. I think there's something deeper going on here. Why would the system, this world system, why would it hate specifically Christians? What is it about them being different that, that, that makes them hate it so much? Okay, they're scared of it. Ah, there you go, Debbie. It makes them feel bad about themselves. Why would it make them feel bad about themselves? They feel like we're all judgmental and perfect. Okay, that might be part of it. There's a. There, it, by the way, this goes back to Genesis. It goes back to the first family, the very first family. Um, Adam, uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and they had two boys. Right? And within one generation, murder came into the world, didn't it? It didn't take long, did it? You know why Cain killed Abel? Jealousy. 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 You go back and read, and we'll read that scripture here, and there's a real lesson there. And we'll get there in just a second. The world does not like anything or anyone that holds a mirror up to it and shows it for what it really is. Right? Look at what Jesus says in John 7, 7. The world hates me. Why? Because I tell it your deeds are evil. That's why it hates me. It doesn't hate me because I do miracles. That's not why it hates me. It doesn't hate me because I feed 5,000. That's not why it does it. It hates me because I look at it and I say, what you're doing is wrong. Listen, does anybody here like that? Nobody likes that. That's human nature. When you, get a, when you get around somebody that's a lot of times better than you, <laughs> morally, you're kind of like, uh, I don't know. Why? Because there's something in us. That, that, it's like holding a mirror up to ourselves and we see everything that's wrong with us. Right? It, isn't that kind of human nature? Like I said, it goes back to uh, the very first brothers. 1 John 3, 12. What's this? Not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were <coughs> righteous. It's, it's not that he was just jealous, but it's the fact that his brother's works against his shine. It was like holding a mirror up to him and shows how defective he was. Are you with me? And that, and that, that, that made him want a killing to wipe him off the face of the earth so that mirror wasn't there anymore. Listen, that's the world, that's the reason the world hates a true believer. Because we act as a condemnation to their evil works. That's the whole key to understanding 
the hate of the world um, right here. We saw the same thing with Jesus. The system hated him so much. And he said, they hate me because I testify to the fact. I mean, can you imagine Jesus was completely, perfectly righteous? He never sinned. That means when he was around, you were like, man, look at that guy. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like a kind of, I mean, you feel it, right? Man, that, that guy's doing it all right. What's wrong with me? And, and instead, of, instead of having this thing, I want to be like you, there's this thing, I want to kill you. So that mirror is not sitting there staring in my face every single day. I want to get rid of you. And that's exactly what they did. They killed him, they spit on him, they tortured him, and they murdered him. And what did he do? He didn't do anything other than the fact that his righteousness stood as a condemnation to their system of man-made religion. That's why they killed him. Okay? Um, Cain was indicted by the righteousness of Abel. Israel was indicted by the righteousness of Christ. And the world is going to be indicted by the righteousness of the true Christian. Because if you're a real Christian, you don't belong to the world. You don't conform to the world. The world may be out there doing all these things, and you're standing over here saying, I'm going to live by this word. And that is a, that is a mirror constantly. Listen, I've said this all along. If you follow uh, homosexual marriage and you follow gay rights, I remember years ago reading about this. And I'd hear, read articles on it. And I'd hear people say things like, man, it doesn't matter what they do in their own bedroom. That's their business. It doesn't have any effect on me. But you see, it never stopped, did it? First, it was okay to get it in their own bedroom. Then it was okay to have it in society. Then it was okay to have gay marriage. And now what they want is they want the church to say it's okay. They won't stop until the church says it's okay. Why? Because they want to wipe out every single piece of evidence that somebody holds up a mirror and says you're what you're doing is wrong because by the way they know deep down inside they know what they're doing is wrong and they think if i can just get in live in a world where no where everybody says it's okay i'll feel okay but they won't they never will because they know deep down inside that they've broken god's law but they want to get rid of all the dissenting uh, voices. That's what the world wants to do. If you're a real Christian, now a real Christian, you, will not, you don't belong to the world, you won't conform to their system, <clears throat> therefore the world is going to be condemned by that. And they're going to hate you for it. There's just no way, no way around that. Nevertheless, <clears throat> this is our calling. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are <clears throat> what? The light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is what we're called to do. We are called to be the light on the hill in a world. In fact, we'll see that here in a little bit, in a world of, of darkness. Look at some of these scriptures. Philippians 2.14. Watch what Paul says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, here we go, without blemish in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul is saying this world out there is crooked, it's twisted, it's wicked, it's perverse, and what are you supposed to do about it? What's he say? How do you let your light shine? 
Be a model. Not just with your words. Don't just say the right thing. Live the right thing. When all the world is doing, doing this, you do that. Because the Bible says to do that. Okay? You, you just live your life. And, and you're, a, you're a light. You are, you, watch what he says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. He's talking about how you actually act it out. How you behave. Right? Be without blemish, without spot in the middle so they can see you. Look at that guy. And whether they do anything about it or not and get right with God, that's none of your business. That's between, that's between them and God. But you are called to live that life. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Again, notice what it says. If, if something is being done in the dark, how do you expose it? You shine a light. He says, don't take part in the unfruitful. See, you're the light. You, you walk through this life, and, and your life is a flashlight. It's a constant light that's exposing the works of darkness because you're doing it right. And if you do that, they will hate you for it because nobody wants to be exposed. Okay? You cockroaches, you turn on that light, and then cockroaches, what do they do? They, they're gone, man. Nobody wants that. And finally, they'll get, they'll get tired of the light and they try to extinguish it. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we're from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There we go. There's the, there's the dividing line. We're of God, they're of the devil. Of God, of the devil. That's, you're, you're one or the other. There is no, no in-between. Now, here's the question. The scripture says very clearly that we are going to be hated if we're not hated Tell me some reasons why. <laughs> Alright. If you're not hated, by the way, Jesus said if you're of the world, the world will love you. As long as you're doing what the world's doing, the world's going to love you. Right? So one reason could be you're not of God. What's, a, what's another reason that we're not being hated? Not walking in the light. You're not shining your light, are you? Maybe you're a Christian, but you, you, you got it under a bushel. What's that old song, hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Maybe we're not letting it shine. Um, one reason, I'll give you a couple. One reason perhaps, and this is just a perhaps, that we don't feel as much of the hatred of the world as we ought to is the fact that we aren't confronting and indicting sin. And in fact, the reason for that is that too many Christians are far too tolerant of sin in their own lives. Okay? You're not gonna, if you're tolerant of sin in your own life, you're not going to indict sin in the world, right? I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. Um, the believer who is tolerant of sin in their own life will never serve as an indictment to a sinful world. But any believer, okay, this is not about getting on your soapbox on the street corner and quoting Scripture. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about living it. Are, are you with me? I'm talking about living it out every single day. I'm talking about not cheating on your taxes. Doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Even if it's to your hurt. I mean, somebody wrongs you, you just take it. You don't go hire a lawyer, you just take it and move on. Let God sort it out. I mean, that's the things real Christians do. Right? You, you just live it out. That's, what, that's what's being talked about. If you will not tolerate it in your own life, and people can see that, Listen, you will be hated by the world because you're living a life that openly violates the system and stands as an open condemnation of that system. 
If your life is, is not, if you're not conforming to that world system, that world system will hate you. Okay? But if you are conforming, it's not going to hate you very much, right? Another reason Christians don't experience the hate of the world could be because the whole of their Christianity revolves around their church. Right? So many of us are Christians, and our whole life, let's face it, revolves around our church. Our friends come from our church. Our extracurricular activities are church. Right? We're in church on Sunday. We're in church maybe on a life group Sunday night. We're on church on Wednesday night. Monday, uh, we, we, we meet, we have our friends over for dinner. Uh, you know, Friday night, we went to a sing at another church. Everybody with me? Church, 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 church. And that's not bad. But when did we ever walk outside and even give the world an opportunity to see who we really are, right? See, we don't feel any, ta- we don't feel any antagonism here. I can get up in, this, in here and say anything I want to say with regards to, you know, uh, obviously adhering to Scripture, and, and I'm going to get approval for it, right? Um, so I'm not going to feel any antagonism because we're all believers. But again, get out and go door to door or go into your workplace and see what happens. Right? You want to you wanna see some antagonism? Go to somebody that's not a believer and talk about the Scripture. Talk about the Lord. And you'll feel that, that antagonism. You see, that's exactly what Jesus... Think about Jesus, what He did every day. He went village to village to village to person to person to person. He never just stayed contained. He, was all, he dealt with prostitutes. He dealt with tax collectors. He dealt with drunkards. He dealt with priests. He dealt with... Uh, government officials, Romans. I mean, he dealt with every facet of society, right? And he dealt with them, and he and he walked as a as a light. He was the light. He didn't sin. His and, and again, every single day, he confronted people with his life, with his righteousness. And what happened? They hated him, and they ended up they ended up killing him for it. But the fact is, you and I, most Christians, we really aren't in the business of confronting the world. It's much safer, much more comfortable confining ourselves and our Christianity to those that are already like us. We're all, by the way, we're all guilty of this. I'm just as guilty as everybody else is. It's just so comfortable here, isn't it? We just love to affirm one another. Man, you know, you're, you're a great Christian. Yeah, my man, you are too. <laughs> you know, we're just patting these you know. And by the way, that's biblical. We are to encourage one another and exhort one another and admonish one another. That's nothing wrong with that. But as long as we stay here, we're never going to see that uh, antagonism. If you're not getting, let's face it, I put this in here. When you confront the world, you get a reaction. If you're not getting a reaction, you're probably not confronting the world. Okay? All right. Here's an example. In the 15th century in Italy, organized religion was in its heyday. If you go back and read any, anything about religion in the Middle Ages, <clears throat> the Pope, uh, the Catholic Church was worldwide at the time. The Pope was ruling everything. Um, it, in fact, the, the Catholic Church had extended itself all over the world, specifically in Italy. It was extremely strong. Um, everybody went to church. Everybody believed. Everybody was religious. That you, you know, wasn't no. If you were, you know, the world was religion back then. That was the system. Everybody with me? By the way, you understand when I say the world system, sometimes the world system is secular, but sometimes the world system is what? It's religious. Don't, don't mean it's godly. Don't mean it's Christian. It's just religious. In fact, the system that Jesus came into there in Israel was what? It was religious. He didn't spend much time at all with the Romans. He confronted the religious. It was the religious system that killed him. They were the ones that hated him. The 
Romans just said, well, man, if that's what y'all want to do, we'll, we'll do it. But it was the Jews that killed him. There, it was the religious system that killed him, not, not the secular system. So here in Italy in the 15th century, the religious system happened to be in power at the time. This little preacher came along. He was a Dominican friar. His name was Savannarola. Um, he was born in 1452, and he died in 1498. And he began to see all this sin he, in the world. He, he knew everybody was religious, but, um, but everybody was just sinning. Man, people were having affairs, and, and there was just all kind of stuff going on, and bribery, and, greetery, and greedy, greediness, and injustice. And so he started preaching, and he denounced the sins of the people. He denounced the corruption in the Roman Catholic Church. He just went, he just went off and just started preaching. And uh, his biographer said this, His voice was a voice of thunder, and his denunciation of sin was so terrific that the people who listened to him went about the street half-dazed, bewildered and speechless. His congregations were so often in tears that the whole church resounded with sobs and weeping. What they do? They burned him at the stake. Killed him dead. Hated him. Right? Why? Because he indicted them. He condemned them. His life and his preaching. They hated that. Because he said, what you're doing is not right. It doesn't matter that you're religious. What you're doing is not right. So they, so they burn him at the stake. See, you can never confront the world without expecting to get a, a, a reaction. And false systems, by the way, false systems of religion are almost always behind it. You're going to see this, you're seeing this today, by the way, in American culture, in world culture. You're going to see it even more in the future. Sin cannot hold sway in the world without the cooperation of false religion. Sin cannot gain power, cannot hold sway without the cooperation of false religion. See, false religion will say, that's okay, just give a little more money, Right? That's okay, just say these words. That's okay, just do this act of contrition. That's okay as long as you love one another. Right? That's what false religion does. They, 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 they put their stamp of approval on, on something. That was true in Jesus' day, and it's still true today. And by the way, I'm not just talking about Catholicism. There are some Catholics who are true Christians, and there are a whole lot who are not just like there are Protestants who are true Christians, and there's a whole lot of Protestants that ain't true Christians, if you don't know that or not. Um, I'm talking about any religious system that puts men and what they think and what they want ahead of what God's Word says we're supposed to do. If God's Word says this and your religion says, nah, you know, that was for 2,000 years ago. As long as you love one another, that's what's important. That's false religion. It's not adhering to God's word. And again, these systems may be far from the Christian faith, things like Muslims and Hindus and Buddhism. It may be close to the Christian faith, things like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, liberal Protestants. But they all have the same thing in common. They're all antagonistic to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes and says, I am the Son of God. Believe in me and obey me and take up your cross and follow me. And people have been, some people want to stay close to Jesus and change him just enough, right? He didn't really mean you got to sacrifice your, what you want and, and, and for him, right? And if he lives in us and through us, they're going to, to hate us. Which brings us to the second reason the world will hate Christians, and that's because they hated him. Okay, look at verse 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 
Remember what I said to you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your word. Okay? Um, all throughout this gospel, Jesus told us time and time and time again that we are to walk on earth as his representatives. Did he not? Remember back in 13 when he washed their feet? He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you should do the same. In other words, if I've served you as, much, as great as I am, if I brought, if submitted myself to serve you, then you should serve one another. Isn't that what he said? Um, same thing with love. Watch what he said in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you sacrificially, deeply, then I want you to love one another in the same way. Now, he says, you're going to suffer as I suffer. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Okay? You can't have the good without, you can't have your cake and eat it too. We've got to serve, we've got to love, but we also have to suffer. What we need to understand is that we'll never be hated for being ourselves. They'll never hate Derek for being Derek. Right? The world will never hate Derek for being Derek. You'll be hated because you represent him. In fact, they hate him, so they hate him in you. That's what he's saying. If Jesus is really in you, if that divine life is flowing in you, and you're, you, by the way, uh, Romans 8 says that we are predestined to be conformed to his image. Isn't that what it says? If you're a Christian, that means in your life you're bringing forth Christ-like fruit. You're looking every day, you should be changed more and more to the image of Jesus. You should look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, walk more like Jesus, behave more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, serve more like Him, love... Well, listen, if they hated him when he did it, what do you think they're going to do when it comes out of you? That's what he's saying. If they hated me, they're going to hate you or they're going to hate me in you. Okay? Um, that's where that hate comes from. Now, real quick, how are we to react to this persecution and suffering if we go through it? If, if somebody hates us because we're a Christian, how should we react to that? Count it as joy. Huh? Count it as all joy. Somebody else. Repay evil with good. Pay evil with good. Look at what uh, look at what First Peter says. First Peter two. <laughs> for to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example, so that you might follow in His steps. In other words, the way that He did it is the way that you should do it. In fact, the word example right there in the Greek is upogrammon. And if you go look of it, it means to trace or to sketch. That means he, he kind of, the way he reacted to suffering, the way he suffered, is, a, is an example or a sketch of the way that we're supposed to do it. Well, how did he do it? Anybody? How did he react to suffering when they spit on him and they beat him and they lied about him and they tortured him? He turned the other cheek. He just took it. He prayed for him. He prayed for him. He forgave him. Right? Uh, look what he says. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. In other words, when he was hated, he didn't hate back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Right? Now what Jesus says, uh, I mean, or, or, or Paul says, uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay. Don't worry about it. Just let it go. That's what he's saying right here. He put it, he said, he said, Father, that's your business. How you deal with this is your business. I don't hate them. 
I'm going to love them, I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to turn the other cheek. And that's exactly, that's the example or the sketch that we've been given to, to do that. How did he suffer? When he was reviled, he didn't revile him uh, back. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten back. When he was hated, he didn't hate him back. But he loved and forgave. He never reacted to suffering, but he took it willingly. And that's exactly the way that we're supposed to do it. Okay, may I, doesn't sound the best, does it? It's not natural, is it? See, one of the things when we talk about doing the things the way Jesus did, everything he calls us to do is never natural. It's always supernatural. I, I, found, I was reading, uh, uh, I, I read a lot of, uh, I spend a lot of, anyway, I, I read a lot. And um, I got all these things I go to and read these things. I saw an article today, it says, monogamism is not natural. And it was a Christian writer, a guy that I read a lot. He says, monogamism, everybody know what monogamism means. You got one wife. In this case, he was a man, so he was one wife. He said, that's not natural. That was the headline. I thought, well, now, I, I got to go read that. <laughs> What's he going to say? Well, what he was saying is it's not natural. It's supernatural. That in the natural, yeah, it may not be, but it's supernatural that God does joins one man and one. And I began to think about that, and I thought about, well, what about the way Jesus suffered? It's not natural not to revile. It's what? Supernatural. It's not, it's not natural to love somebody that hates you. It, it's supernatural. It, it all goes back to that abiding in the vine, his divine life flowing in us and creating those Christ-like characteristics. He not only suffered on the cross to bear our sins, but he suffered on the cross to give us a pattern as to how we ought to conduct ourselves. If the world abuses us, we ought to take it in silence and count ourselves worthy uh, to have suffered. Again, Romans 12, 9, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. That's my business, says the Lord. I'll take care of that. You just move on. Third reason, not only does the world hate us because we're not part of the system, and because they hated our Lord, but it, there is a third reason, and that is because they don't know God. Look at what he says in John 15, 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they don't know God. They don't know the Father. They think they know him. They call him Jehovah. They call him Allah. They call him the same name sometimes. They think they know him, but they don't know him. Okay? Look, look go back. Now, this is... This is naturally the hardest thing for the world to swallow, okay? Especially those in false religions. And this was constantly Jesus' message to the Jews. The Jews prided themselves, we are the chosen generation, right? I mean, we are the chosen people. We know God. And what does Jesus come to them and say? You don't know Him. Because if you knew Him, you know me. If you loved Him, you love me. Because I'm his son. I'm the express image of the Father. Uh, and by the way, that infuriated them more than anything else. Go back and read your Bible. Every time they tried to kill him, just about every time they tried to kill him, it was because he would say something that inferred that they did not know God. And they, they, that, that, infuriated, that infuriated them. Now, let's step back for one quick second. Man is born in this world knowing that there is a God. You can't get away from that. Look at Romans 1, 19-20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that are made. So they're without excuse. Everybody comes into the world. You just... Have you ever... 
Have you ever watched a kid? It's an amazing thing with children. Um, before children ask you, will ask you something uh, like something like this: "Who made this?" You ever you ever watch kids do that? Who made this? Well, they don't even. They just know things are made. Yep, watch that with children. Who made this? What makes them think anybody made it? Right? They just know things are made. It's just it's just inherent in us that things are created and there must be a, a creator. But we come into this world knowing there's a God, but we don't love him. Right? We don't come into this world wanting to serve him and, and, and be part of his family. In fact, we come into this world at enmity with God. We, we're rebellious. We don't like him. We don't like his ways. We don't want to be, we want to do our own thing. Uh, we don't want to conform to his standards and laws. So what do we do, by the way, as people? You, you, you know there's a God, but you don't really want anything to do with him. So what do you do? Somebody tell me, what do we as people do, human beings in general? That's exactly what we do. We create a God that's like us. We create a God that says it's okay to do those things you're doing. Right? Now, there are some that say there's no God. The Bible says they're fools. I care how smart you are. If you say there's no God, the Bible says you're, you're a fool. But most people, by the way, aren't fools. There's a few that will say there's no God. But for the most part, the vast majority of people do exactly what Jerry said. They devise their own systems. We call it religion. And they create a God that they want. Right? And this God just happens to let them do the things that, that they really want to do. They make our own, we make our own laws and our own rules within these systems so that we'll feel good about ourselves. But we've said it before and we'll say it again. If you don't worship Jesus Christ, right, the biblical Jesus Christ, not some man-made version, okay, if you don't serve the, the Jesus of the Bible, then you don't know God. John 8, 19 said this, They said to him, therefore, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you know my father. Basically what Jesus said is God the Father has, is right in front of you. You, you. Everything there is to know about him is in me. And if you don't love me, you don't love him. You hate me, you hate him. It's as clear as a bell, right? So I don't care how good somebody thinks they are, how religious they think they are. If they don't love Jesus Christ, they don't love God. It's, it's the dividing line between a true religion and false religion. What do they make of Jesus Christ? In fact, listen to Jesus' words, John's 8. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Now here you go. You don't understand what I'm saying because you can't bear to hear my word because you are of your Father, the devil. Now who's He talking to, by the way? Prostitutes, drunkards, tax collectors. He's talking, to, he's talking to Pharisees, talking to religious people. And you wonder they want to kill him? I mean, they're, they're walking around in their robes and they're saying their prayers and everybody's patting them on the back. Man, and they're just, man, they're just, they're righteous. And he says, let me tell you where you come from. Your father is the devil, not God. And they didn't fall on their knees and repent. They wanted to kill him. They hated him for, for saying that. See, what he's saying is there's, a, there's a, a, a religion called Christianity that worships the true God and because they love His Son, Jesus Christ. And then there are false religions. And those false religions aren't about God at all. They're about the devil. False religions are demonic, born of Satan. 
any system that denies the virgin birth and the deity of Christ and the verbal inspiration of Scripture, they're not created by people who love God. They're created by people who hate God and want to remake a God in their own image. By the way, it doesn't matter if it's blatant atheism or whether it's some kind of modern liberal Christianity. They hate God. Okay? Um, look at John. Now, let's turn to those last few verses here with our last couple minutes. It says this. Jesus is continuing to speak. He said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Now, I want to explain this. I'll read that one more time. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse. Whoever hates me hates my Father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that's written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without any cause. But when the Helper comes, who I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. In these last verses, Jesus is describing the guilt of the world. Because they hate him, they're guilty. And he's, he says this, I came with words. What's what he said in 22? I came and spoke to them. In verse 24, he said, I came and did works among them. Right? Everybody see that? Yet they would not believe. And Jesus says this sin of belief is they have no more excuses. I like the King James Version here. It said this, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak for their sin. That Greek word there is prophasis. It means an outward showing or a cloak, a, a pretense. Okay, What he's saying is that this false religion that they had, it's like a cloak that hides their sin, that they put over them. And they say, I'm okay. I worship God. I'm a righteous man or a righteous... Everybody see that? False religion is like a cloak. And he says, but I've come and I've told them the truth. They don't serve God. They don't love God. They're of their father, the devil. I've told them the truth. Therefore, the cloak has been taken away. They don't have any excuse anymore. I've given them the truth. I've said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We've told them, there is no other name given among men whereby, whereby we must be saved. Therefore, their cloak has been removed and they have no excuse. Jesus is not saying that if he had not come and spoken to these people, they would be sinless. He's saying that now that He has come and spoken to them, their excuses for their sin are gone. Okay, Now they and everyone who hears the gospel is guilty of the sin of rejecting Him and the Father He came to reveal. By the way, does anybody know why that sin of unbelief is unforgivable? If you say, I don't believe in Jesus, we don't ever think about this. If you say, I don't believe in Jesus, that's an un that can't be forgiven. Do you know why? Huh? Well, that's that that's that's the reason we're not we don't have an excuse. Well, think about it. I don't know if I put it here. Yeah, I put this here. This the rejection of Jesus is the one ultimate sin for which there can be no forgiveness, because the one who's committed that sin has rejected the cure. In other words, the only cure for sin is believing in Jesus, but you don't believe in Jesus. So not only is it a sin, it's actually you rejected the cure. Everybody see that? So you have to believe to be forgiven of that. Anyway, in fact, listen to what Jesus says. Now they've seen and hated both me and the Father, but the word that is written in the law, they hated me without any cause. In other words, what he's saying is 
now they, all the excuses have been removed. I came and lived a perfectly sinless life, a perfectly righteous life. I loved them. I gave everything for them, right? I gave my life. In fact, they've seen and heard me. All the things foretold by Moses and the prophets were fulfilled in me. Now they have nothing, not false religion, not ignorance, nothing whatsoever to excuse their unbelief. You hate me, you hate the Father. And, and the crime of rejecting me is equal to the crime of rejecting God. In the end, God erased every reason for a man or woman to hate Jesus. Every single one. He gave grace. He gave love. He made Jesus Christ so beautiful, so pure, so attractive, so magnetic, so drawing, so desirable. He did everything to save men. Everything to keep men out of hell. He did everything He could possibly do. And the Bible says they hate me without any cause. Okay? God designed and gave us the full revelation in, in Jesus. In Christ, we see the exact image of the Father. In fact, He gave us such a perfect and complete manifestation that if a man hates Christ, he does it without any cause at all except his own selfish sinfulness. And there is no excuses. And that's what He's saying. They have, if I hadn't come, they would have an excuse, but now that cloak has been has been taken away. Alright? Any questions or comments before we close? Alright, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, as we always